Well, fortunately, I, I thought for a few seconds how you outdo Oliver Sacks, and I figured out a way. Uh, he could only think back 66 years. I can go back 72. <laughs> I'd like to chat for a few minutes about some of the factors that affected my career choice, and hopefully that some of these will give you some help. My earliest recollections about science were the fact that my brother and brother-in-law had already chosen career paths. I was the youngest in the family. And the interesting fact that my mother and dad, who my mother had finished high school, my dad had two years of high school, felt it was absolutely important that the family get college educations, and my brothers, my brother and my sisters and I all did, so we were on our way. And then I was influenced by many factors. Some of them had to do with books that I read, such as uh, Paul de Christ's Microhunters and things like that, where you read about Pasteur, and it's pretty exciting. I'm sure many of you have done that. And then there's the excitement of your first experiments in chemistry, which <clears throat> usually involve explosions, and I don't think I want to guide you in that direction, but <laughs> it's a first-hand experience that's quite memorable. Uh, finally, there's, of course, teachers, and uh, in our high school, general science, biology, chemistry, and physics uh, were inspirations, interestingly enough, it was a small school, and it was all one teacher, but he was very impressive and very dedicated. And so I think those are factors that each of you can think back on and, and will find will have influenced your choices. And finally, when you get to college and you uh, find professors that really love to teach, of course, their research is important, but when they really love to teach, there were four, that, four at Northwestern that I, I found inspired me to learn and learn and learn, and that was, and one of them, of course, encouraged me to go on to Princeton for graduate school, and that turned out to be a great choice. So those were factors. And then I went to 3M, and as mentioned, I had uh, 30 years at 3M and larger companies, and probably had figured out what my career path was, except that uh, I was susceptible to anything that was really exciting. And one of the things that came along at that time was recombinant DNA. And I'd heard a little about it, and there were a lot of people who knew a lot more about it than I did, but it just struck me that if you can create a system for capturing the information of the human gene, if you can put human proteins in a test tube, if you can create those proteins, if you can modify those proteins, there must be unlimited potential, and certainly it turned out to be true. So I was uh, lured into a small biotech company that had no money, not very many good ideas either, just getting started, uh, some very persuasive venture capitalists, and so we started out, and that company was Amgen. Uh, we, had, uh, we were able to go public after a couple of years, which uh, means that you can get financing, except that what happened to our stock, it went from 18 to 16 to 12 to 5, and you can guess, it ended up at 3 and 3 quarters, and a lot of people giving me advice as to what I should do to make it better, and what actually happened was the dedication of the people there made it better. They kept at it and came through. Meanwhile, we had to decide that chicken growth hormone, our first success, didn't work. That indigo, a very interesting way to make a, a blue dye indigo, wasn't commercially attractive. That our interferon, the holy grail of biotechnology, that particular interferon that we had at Amgen was ineffective, and so on. So we had eight out of eight failures, and that might have been discouraging, except that the people in the organization were absolutely impressed that we were on our way to something big, and they kept going. So that's a an interesting insight, and I think that the key is uh, the enthusiasm that you have for the field. You get a lot of um, guidance about your career paths, but the key is whether you really love what you're going to be doing. And I think that's what kept the scientists going in the face of some of those adversities. So I think if you do what, you, what thrills you, you're on your way. Uh, I think you have a great opportunity today. We always 
think back that maybe it was easier in those days. Uh, I think it's better for us to think about it's easier today because that's the inspiration to go ahead and do it. And so if you, uh, in your own careers, you have opportunities that probably are as great as they ever be. The science and technology today is marvelous. There are other areas that you're hearing about in this conference which are just wonderful that you can imagine all the different dimensions that uh, your particular interest will take you. And uh, finally, of course, uh, the idea is to build a career that where you in turn can be an inspiration to the next generation. So I uh, wish you every luck in that venture and I'd call that a very successful life if you can do it. I know you're short of time, but if somebody has a burning desire, I'd love to try to help them. Hi, my name is Steve Gross. I'm from Chicago, Illinois. And uh, I wanted to know what you think, uh, perhaps even in addition to the whole uh, the genome project being completed and everything, where is the biotechnology industry turning towards in the near future? Well, there's a couple of conventional project projections which I would endorse, and that is, of course, uh, the, the marriage of information science and biotechnology is really what's, what's uh, really classically defined in the, in the, in, and epitomized in the genome program. So you're suddenly aware of the, of the need for all that we've learned in, in, computer, in computer work and information handling. Uh, I think uh, there's, there's, I'm very biased, but I think that biotechnology itself is just unfolding uh, new opportunities uh, that, are never, that were never there before. The company that I'm with now has uh, looked back and, and found genes that no one else has discovered. And you might wonder, we worked at, at Amgen, our first success was one molecule that produced red cells. It was an important success. It's presently treating hundreds of thousands of patients. And our sex, second molecule raised white cells. It can double the white cell count of anybody in this room within eight hours with that, with that molecule. It's a natural human protein. What this period today is producing, and the company I'm with today is doing it, is the discovery of tens of thousands of genes, but you don't know what they're good for. You have a totally new reverse genetics problem, but an inspiration for anybody to imagine that we now know a lot more about the code of life for the human being and the variations in that code from each of us that make us what we are and how those, that information leads directly to a molecular understanding of human physiology. And when you know it to a molecular level, you can get solutions in a far more efficient and complete way than if you're just arbitrarily doing experimental work. So I think that that opportunity to really use molecules and understand them is really here today. And hopefully people in this room will do a lot with that because the opportunity is almost infinite to control and affect and, and correct disease and pathology in people all around the world. Thanks. I was wondering now that this technology is coming out and we'll be able to make many advances with the information we have from the Human Genome Project. Um, is your company or other companies participating in uh, talks about the social implications and the political implications uh, of this? The uh, ethical and social mm -hmm. implications of uh, the Genome Project was a subject that uh, Jim Watson discovered the Nobel Prize. Uh, placed into the program right from the beginning, it was called the LC program, and it was designed to set aside, I think the number was 5% of all the money being spent on understanding and making sure that we weren't flying in the face of ethical dilemmas and other things. I, fe I feel that the uh, society, in, in, in my, my experience, biotechnologists and biologists before them have behaved, behaved extraordinarily responsibly. 
in fact, slowed down the field while they were making sure that the earliest experiments would be the safest experiments, and that's the way they were carried out. And of course, the, they, they weren't faced with quite the challenge we have today that the question of you can clone an animal, you can clone a human, you can clone a subhuman, and a whole bunch of terribly difficult ethical questions. But I think the, uh, the level of responsibility shown today should be encouraging to anybody that uh, we can handle those problems as they come along and we can do it right. Thank you. One more question. One more, I guess. Sorry. <laughs> oh, yes. My name is Rose Lindgren and I'm from Thousand Oaks, California. It's, it's so easy in a society to give up, but you stayed with Amgen even though you had eight out of eight failures. Um, what inspired you to do that? Oh, I guess, uh, I guess the people were there. The confidence, and I, <laughs> it's difficult to say this, but <laughs> you're not alone. <laughs> and it's the other people that make the difference. <laughs> so they made the difference. And it was important to me. And it turns out to be very important to a lot of people. So remember that. Thank you.